conversation with them, seek some counsel, some prayer. One of those times is immediately following the morning worship time. And they'll be in that back room over here, the conference room, I guess we call it, uh, for anyone that needs prayers, counsel, uh, just need to have a conversation with them. They're available for you. Needed to also remind you, today is the last day for sign up for life groups. If you're wanting to participate, you want your family to participate in life groups, there's a sign-up sheet in the back of the auditorium. Put your name down on it. Tell us how many people in your family are participating so we can start working on getting those groups put together. We're going to let you know who, what group you're in, who your leader is by mail. So keep an eye on the mailbox. The first week of August is when we'll mail those out. That'll give you enough time to get with your leaders before life groups start in September. Yeah, also, there's a big sign-up sheet back there for Journey Back to School that I noticed doesn't have a lot of names on it. And my understanding from the way this has been done in the past is that we give out something like 800 backpacks to kids in the community. And that really is kind of an impossible task when you only have three people signed up on the list. So I encourage you, pray about how you will be a part of that effort. The elders encourage you to pray about how you are a part of that effort and any other effort uh, that Boulevard is participating in. Yeah, we had our study with the elders this month. We're planning on doing it again next month. And if you missed it, hope you don't miss it again. I had a good time. I hope you did as well through all of that. That'll be the first Tuesday night in August when we do that. And again, I'm going to echo, as we close out before we get into the lesson, echo what Kendall said. If you're visiting with us, that's fantastic. You're honoring us with your presence here this morning. If you'd be willing to fill out one of these cards that's on the the few in front of you, we would appreciate that. And you can just give that card to any of the men that you saw serving this morning, that, including myself. We'll get it to who it needs to go to so we have a record of your attendance. And one thing I promise you, we will not use your personal information and call you about your car's extended warranty. We are, we are wanting to know that you're here and stick around a little bit. Let us get to know you a little bit better. Anybody ever have to deal with misconceptions in life? You ever notice how you get an idea in your head and you think it's true and you think it's real and then all of a sudden reality kicks in and you realize, oh, that's not the way it was. You know what it was for me, the, one of the big ones for me, and it took me forever to get my brain wrapped around the truth, is that I thought the song Edelweiss was the national song for Austria. It has to be, right? It's sung 50 bajillion times in The Sound of Music. And they're in Austria, and so that has to be the national song of Austria because everybody knows it, right? Remember the, the concert that they were doing and everybody's singing along and everybody starts crying at that point in the show because it's so emotional because you know they're leaving Austria, homeland that I love. Well, actually, the national song of Austria is called Land of Mountain, Land of River. It really doesn't have the same poetic ring to it when you think about it. And then you got the Bible side of things, misconceptions about things that are in the scripture. So for instance, what was the fruit that Adam and Eve ate? Most people will answer that question with an apple, but we're actually not told in the scriptures what the fruit is. What swallowed Noah? Nothing swallowed Noah. Gotcha. I didn't do that on purpose either. <laughs> what swallowed Jonah? There we go. Preacher's like, he doesn't even know who's, what, what swallowed who, right? 
Yeah, it's a big fish. We, we automatically assume it's a whale. Here's the one that I love. How many wise men came to see Jesus when he was a baby? It could have been 500. All we know is they brought how many gifts? Three. Okay, so we understand that whole concept of misconceptions from the scriptures, how we can get a, an idea in our minds of what actually happened or didn't actually happen as we do it. And I think that's a challenge that we face when we read Mark, okay? And we're reading through Mark, looking at Jesus as the trailblazer, the one who's the forerunner, the pioneer for the walk that we're on. And I encourage you to read Mark chapter six for next, but in Mark chapter five is one of those chapters where we see <coughs> Jesus doing everything, okay? Yeah, and it goes, this is basic outline of Mark chapter five. Jesus is going to get a couple hours of sleep. Then he's going to cast out a demon. He's going to heal a woman. Then he's going to raise a girl from the dead. Now, we assume when we read through these types of stories, and I think Mark has written his, his gospel story for a very specific purpose to a very specific audience. But we read these stories, and then we, we make ourselves feel inadequate when we start comparing ourselves to how busy we are in our kingdom work, right? Right? Yeah, we look at Jesus' normal day, or what we think of as a normal day, and we think, man, he is doing a ton. And we look at ourselves and go, yeah, I'm really not doing much. And we forget that the gospel story is being presented to us, and it's actually a period of three years. And not even all of the things that Jesus did were recorded, but maybe Jesus wasn't as busy as we think. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to lessen what Jesus is doing and how he's being presented. That is not at all what I'm saying. But I would like for us to maybe get a little bit of a perspective into the life that he's calling us to live. Because there's certain earthly responsibilities that have to be maintained, right? Who ate breakfast this morning? Nobody. Wow. Well, I better hurry up and finish this up if you guys are going to get some food in your bellies then. Thank you. Well, Jesus must not have eaten, except for maybe a couple of times, because the Gospels don't tell us that Jesus ate, right? No, we understand that Jesus had to eat. He has the needs of the body that he has to fulfill and all of that. Did Jesus work? It's entirely possible that Jesus did odd jobs as he was traveling around. Who knows? But we're not told all of the ins and outs of Jesus' life in the Gospels. We're told what we need to know, so that, this is what John tells us, so that we could have faith in him. We don't get all of the story of Jesus' life. Could you imagine reading through the three-year ministry of Jesus' life and it goes something like, well, at 0430, Jesus was up. He had 30 minutes of prayer and then had a cup of coffee and a Danish before he went and met with the disciples and then talked with them for 15 minutes to tell them to get up because you know they like to sleep. Then he walked, you know, for four hours to the next town and it was in that town that he did this, had a little bit of lunch because there was this really great kosher restaurant that he'd been hearing about that's in the region. And so he wanted to go in there and grab a bite to eat before he went to the synagogue, which was his practice, to do some teaching in there. And on the way to the synagogue, it's not how the Gospels are presented to us. We don't get any, all of the information that's going on here. And I'd like for us to think about that as we're looking at it, because I think at times if we look at Jesus's life and we start making comparisons of what we think of as Jesus's busy life and our for lack of a better phrase, inadequately busy life, we start to feel inadequate 
that we can't actually follow in his footsteps. We can't actually do what Jesus did. We can't be the people that God is calling us to be because we just have fooled ourselves into thinking that we have to be so busy. Three miracles happen in Mark chapter 5. Three. The first one is the garrisoned demoniac who has legion. The next is the woman with the issue of blood who happens kind of in the middle of the Jairus' daughter story where he comes and asks Jesus to come uh, and heal her. But I would like for us to think about this. When we look at Mark chapter 5, I found this to be fascinating. I think we could call these chance encounters. Jesus didn't plan these things out. You know, I doubt that Jesus woke up this day after a couple hours of sleep and he goes, you know what? I think I'm going to cast out a demon today, raise a little girl from the dead, and heal a woman who's been bleeding for a long time. I think that's my agenda for the day. But we see these things happening in the natural course of his life, right? The, de the, the demoniac comes running up to him as he's coming out of the boat and screaming, and I won't scream at you. Uh, and that's when that interaction happens. And then as he's coming in and Jairus comes and grabs him and the people are pressing in on him and he goes with Jairus and somebody touches him. And he's like, whoa, wait a minute, somebody just touched me. These are not things I think that Jesus planned out. They just happened. And he took advantage of the opportunities as they happened. Each of them, just for a few moments, stopping to be engaged with the people around him, with the community that he finds himself in. And here's the funny thing about community. It can be large, like we see the with the town with the demoniac, or small, like just the woman that he deals with in this chapter. The size of the community doesn't matter. What matters is that when the opportunity presents itself, Jesus becomes actively involved. And he doesn't shy away from it. It's about being opportunistic in how he deals with people. And I... I don't think we, and here's the deal, guys. I don't think we have a hard time identifying opportunities. You know what I think we have a hard time with? Actually engaging in the opportunity. Being Jesus' ambassador in that moment. That's where I think we struggle with all of it. And let's, let's look through Mark chapter 5. And here's something I want us to notice. I'm going to read some highlights through it. And I want us to notice that Jesus deals with people very differently than those around him. He'll deal with people very differently than those around him, but I also think that he deals with people differently than how we deal with people. Okay? And it all starts at the very beginning of the chapter. When you get down to verse 12, uh, the demon-possessed man comes up, and in verse 8, he has said, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And verse 12 says, The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. We jump over to verse 15. The people, the herdsmen hear about this. They're not very happy. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed. So they know who this guy is. And they see him sitting with Jesus, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Jesus is providing dignity to a man who had none through all of this. Verse 22, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, 
My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him. And a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Jesus didn't stop to check his calendar. He just went. And on the way, as the crowds are pressing in, immediately Jesus, a woman touches him in verse 30, immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And of course, you know how the disciples react to this, right? Wait, master, come on, man. You see all these people? What are you going to ask who touched you? Everybody's touching you. No. I've, Jesus feels the power leave him. He finds the woman, verse 32, looks around, sees the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He continues on moving to Jairus' house in verse 38. They came to the house of the synagogue official. He saw a commotion, people loudly weeping and wailing and entering in. He said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child's not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where she was and said, little girl, get up. I'd like to ask you guys a question. Are there people in chapter 5 who you would not help? See, the people of the town with the demoniac obviously weren't doing anything but just trying to remove the problem from the community. Would it be too much work, too much sacrifice to stop and help? Oh, here's what we do, though, I think. I think it's easier to just look and find somebody else that's easier to help. But let's not forget, the people that are mentioned in Mark chapter 5 are people who long to be treated like people, not problems. And I get it, I do. It's easy to help anybody that has fewer issues. And I think we may not be courageous enough to say it out loud, but I think through our actions, we've chosen at times not to serve someone because there would be too much effort that would be involved to actually help them. That we look at it and all we, we don't see a person, we see a problem. And that's when we fall into the category of those who have purposefully forgotten that we were in the same need, the same dire straits, and Jesus treated us like people. He didn't look at us as a problem to be solved, but as a person that needed help. And he fosters this reputation as one who is willing and available and approachable 
to those who are in need. And not only do we see him taking the initiative to help, like he does with the demon-possessed man here at the beginning of the chapter, but he's also not shunning those who came to him. A synagogue official, how easy would that have been to look at him and go, that sounds like a you problem. Or the woman who touched him. We don't see the master acting in this way. What we do see is the master taking advantage of the opportunities that are placed before him to help these folks, providing what they needed. And I think the call, the call that he makes to us is the call that he lived. Listen, Jesus isn't just walking out there saying, hey guys, come walk all the way over there, not anywhere close to behind me as you follow me. That what Jesus is calling us to do and calling us to be is exactly what he is doing through all of this. Does this mean that we need to go out there and try and find some demon-possessed dude that we can cast those demons out into a pig? No. But what he is calling us to do is be engaged and actively involved in the lives of people around us. And if we're able to help, then we better pull our big boy pants up and help and be who he's calling us to be in those situations. Not to shun them, not to look at them and say, you know, I look at Stephen and go, man, that dude is nothing but issues. Not that he is. I really like Stephen, by the way, which makes him easy to help. But to look at him like a person created in the image of God. You guys recall that the master once said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When he was asked, what is the greatest command? Mark chapter 5 presents to us examples of what it is to love your neighbor. To treat others the way you would be treated. Even when it's not even reciprocated. How we treat people is important. Because it becomes an indicator of where our heart is. That's why our scripture reading this morning was from Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Let's read it again. Just in case we forgot what Kenny had read to us 15, 15 minutes ago. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. As if we're following Jesus' teachings, one of the natural implications will be that we will start to look at people and see them as people. Not problems to be solved, but people who need the Lord and people who need the help that Jesus can provide. And that's the path he sets for us. So I guess the real question for us is, do we love our neighbor? And do we deal with people 
and take advantages of opportunities that are put in our path as we're walking this earth, claiming to serve Jesus, taking advantage of those opportunities to be the help that those folks need. Or this may be a crazy thought. Maybe we come across somebody who needs some help that's outside of our wheelhouse. And we're just like, well, can't help that guy. He's that, what he needs, I'm not really well-versed in. Completely forgetting that there's 150, 200 people here at Enterprise who there might be one person who's got that in their wheelhouse that could help them. You see how individually we're called to serve, but also communally we're called to serve as well? This is what it means to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Stephen's song that he has for our encouragement is Light the Fire. And I think at times we read that, or we sing that song, and we're singing it to ourselves like, man, I gotta light the fire, I gotta stoke that thing up and get it burning so that I can be who Jesus is calling us to be. That's not what that song is about. That song is about the Lord lighting the fire in our own hearts based on our faith and our convictions to follow him. And perhaps you're struggling with that this morning. Perhaps you're struggling with your perception of people that you found yourself just looking at those around you and seeing them as nothing but problems with issues to be solved instead of viewing them as actual people to help. God calls us to the, the higher standard of that, to be better. Because everybody else is out there trying to solve everybody's problems because that's all they are, problems, issues. When we're just called to be Jesus' ambassadors and view them as people. If you're struggling with that, you need the prayers of the church. This is a great time to make that confession, to open yourself up to us, to receive the encouragement that comes from those of like mind who are also stumbling and walking and trying to follow Jesus to the best of our ability. Or maybe you're ready to just take that first step of following Jesus. You realize what he's accomplished for you by coming to this earth and living among men, showing us who God really is, and recognizing the sacrifice that he made is available to you. And you're ready to make the confession of him as the Christ. You're ready to take him on as master, to put to death the old life and bury it in the waters of baptism, be raised this new creature without sin, cleanse conscience, all of the benefits that come from baptism. Then come forward, make the confession. Everyone here who claims Jesus as Lord has made that confession, and we are not ashamed of it. And we would love to hear another one. Whatever we can do for you this morning, we want you to know you are welcome as you come forward while we stand and sing.